I'm going to be talking about amplifying, how we can amplify the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is what transforms our lives. It brings us forgiveness of sins. It gives us eternal life that begins in this world. And we're concluding our Life Together community building series today, um, and which to me is one of the most critical ways that we can possibly magnify who Christ is on the earth is together. When we started Living Streams, I would invite people over uh, to our services and there would be maybe six, eight, ten people and they would oftentimes go, wow, you guys have a lot of work to do. This is really nice. I hope it goes well. God bless you and we'll never see them again. But as the years go on and we have a whole community of people that loves one another and is committed to one another, people would come to the services, same kind of message, same, same kind of music, and they'd be in tears. And they'd say, the Spirit is speaking to my heart. I can't believe it. And it was because of the collective witness and testimony of all of us together with our lives knit together. So a few Saturday mornings ago, I was at home, and um, I like to take a Sabbath on Saturday, maybe watch a little football, read some books, do some praying, take a nap, and so forth. And uh, I was reading in Hebrews, and the reason I was reading it is because I was distressed about what's happened in Israel since Hamas took those captives. I wanted to refresh myself on what God said to the Hebrews, the Jewish believers in the New Testament. So I'm reading along in Hebrews, and I'm reading in chapter 3 and 4, and it's talking about entering God's rest. It's, it's not just the promised land in terms of the national borders of Israel, but the spiritual rest that he wants to bring us all into. And it says, if you want to enter his rest, then obey his voice. So I'm praying and I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm available. This is the day you've made. Speak to me. And I'm just sitting there quietly like Ryan talked about in his uh, sermon last week about this, or two weeks ago, listening to the voice of God. And I'm hearing nothing, absolutely nothing. So I, I get out my newspapers. I read two papers a day if I can. I've got my cereal, and, and uh, I'm eating my breakfast and reading, and the phone rings, and it's my friend Gary Kinneman, and he's uh, talking very hoarsely, and he says, Mark, what do you have planned for today? And um, I'm like, I know this is a trick question, I know if any pastor or anybody involved in ministry asks you what you have planned today, come up with something really quick. And because uh, he had a plan for my life. And my, his plan was that the memorial service that he assured me was just a little gathering of family members that he was supposed to speak at, uh, he had COVID and he wasn't going to be able to make it. And he wondered if I could fill in. And uh, so I asked him, is there music? And he goes, no, I think they have a video. So basically, no big deal. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I get dressed. I drove over to Green Acres uh, an hour later in Scottsdale. And uh, as I'm approaching the place where they have a, a pretty good-sized chapel, I see a big line of people. Now, I, I'm almost half an hour early. There's a big line of people coming out the door, and I thought, well, I'll go ask these people because they don't know where our little thing is going to be. Well, sure enough, our little thing was at the other end of that big line because this lady 
Kirsten Fowler had much greater of an impact with her life than her old pastor Gary had ever anticipated. He knew she had a ministry to uh, survivors of sexual abuse, and, and she liked to pray with women and bring them healing. But I don't know if he knew about the fact that on her mission trips, she found a little kid in, a, in an orphanage in Uganda, and she basically adopted him. His name was Roberts. And she began to support him through high school, support him through college, support him through medical school. And he gave a video testimony during the service from Uganda, Kampala, and, uh, and he's now a doctor there with four little kids of his own and treating hundreds and hundreds of patients. And, and he attributes it all to the fact that this lady chose to love him and to give to him. She had her own family, but they made, and they, she had her own church to tithe to, but she went over and above and poured her life into this little guy and a whole bunch of these other people. And, and I love the fact that her life was summarized, and, and a memorial service can never do justice to somebody's entire life, but it can give you a glimpse, it can give you a taste of the potential that people can have when they take the gospel of Christ seriously, and they begin to share the love, they begin to share the word of God, they begin to get involved in the lives of other people, and transformation takes place. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. In Romans 1, it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. By the way, Israel is mentioned over 2,500 times in the Bible. The Jews are mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible, because the Bible is the story of God choosing people not because they were wealthy, not because they were powerful or beautiful or gifted or talented, but God choosing people and choosing to use those people and to reveal himself to the others in the world through those chosen people. And those who hate the Jew, those who are anti-Semitic, are hating the idea that there is a God who created heaven and earth, who has the authority, the ability, and has actually gone about chose choosing people. Because if you hate the Jews, then you're going to hate the Christians too. Because we too have been chosen. We too have a, an opportunity and a responsibility to display the glory of God. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So here in Romans, it's saying the gospel, it's the power of God. It's the, the power that transforms us. And the righteous live by faith. We don't see it all, we don't understand it all, we don't know it all, but by faith we take what we do know and we put it into practice and all kinds of things happen. Let me, let me pray with us before we go on. Father God, I ask that as I share your word, it will come alive, that you will amplify the truth that sets us free in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we heard a testimony from Kurt. He's been to Ecuador 13 times. When he and I went there many years ago on his first trip, we saw all kinds of people come to know Christ. There is a spiritual awakening taking place in Ecuador that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. 
And at the end of our trip, we, we were going and going from meeting to meeting, from city to city. Kurt got really dehydrated. We all got sick. And uh, at one point, he literally collapsed and went into convulsions, and I prayed that he wouldn't die. Now, he didn't die, obviously. He, got, he went into the hospital. He was well-treated, well-cared for. But what, what I love about hearing his stories is that he did not let the fear of death hold him back from the purpose of God. The purpose of God was to use him there, not just once or twice, but many, many times, and to take others with him and to give them a taste of what it's like to experience revival and people coming to Christ and healings taking place. And that's something that the Lord wants to do for all of us if we're willing to live by faith and to trust him and face down the giants of fear that would keep us isolated and keep us holding back. Anyway, don't let that happen to you. What amplifies the gospel? Healings and miracles amplify the gospel. When somebody you know and love gets healed, it, it makes you want to shout and scream the good news of Jesus. A community of people who are built together in Christ amplify the gospel. People come to know the Lord, not just because of a preacher or a musician, but because we are a spiritual family that all is connected in love. Believers sharing their lives and loving one another. Believers sharing the gospel confidently in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says this, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God, when, when God lives among us by his spirit, there is some, something powerful, something wonderful, something awesome that happens. Taylor Swift has had the most successful um, tour, the Eras Tour, in the history of touring musicians. Early on in her tour, she did something to boost the commitment of her team, the truck drivers, the, the stagehands, the, mus the, the musicians, and the sound people. She gave $55 million worth of bonuses. That's a lot of money. She literally doubled everybody's salary as a bonus because she wanted them committed. She wanted them to, to be all in for the rest of this year-long world tour. And... Uh, I was thinking about doing that for the church, you know. I'm just a few of those 55 million short. And, and, and there's a reason why God leaves us sometimes short in terms of how much money is available. It's because there is something more valuable than money. And when we begin to understand what it means to really love one another and be connected together, then we will not trade that for money. We will not use money to be the motivating reason why we will come together. The motivating reason is we want to see people know that Jesus Christ is alive. When I was a young believer, I moved into a discipleship house. 
It was a couple, Bob and Carol Galden, who opened their home after they got married to six of us guys, and uh, they began to teach us about the Lord, and we all worked together in construction and painting crews, and, and we shared our money. We lived like the Book of Acts. And being in that house for 10 months with them, seeing how they related as a married couple, seeing um, what it meant to open the Bible and to pray together, that literally changed my entire life. And during the course of those months together, because I became so excited about Jesus, we used to drive up and down Highway 101 from Marin County towards San Francisco and back to do our jobs we'd put a, a sign up on a hillside. It used to be a big peace sign with white rocks on the hillside because Marin County is a hippie capital. But we sort of rearranged the rocks to say Jesus. And then we took some limestone and put our home phone number underneath it. So it's Jesus with 482-0084 or whatever the number was. And, uh, and, and at night when we'd get home from work, our phone would be ringing and it'd be people saying, why did you put your... Jesus up on the hillside, and we would share the gospel with them. I mean, we would literally do any crazy idea that we possibly could, but it worked. Every idea we had worked, whether we were going out on the streets, putting signs up on the hills, they all worked to a point, to a point. The, the ideas that really work are the ideas here in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus said in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. What works better than signs on a hill or tracts being handed out is believers, whether they're Baptists or Catholics or Presbyterians or Lutherans or whoever they are, Believers living together in unity, recognizing that we all have the same Father, we all have the same Lord. I was in a church in Reno last Sunday preaching, and the, the local Calvary Chapel pastor had just died, and so the Reno church was giving a gift to the Calvary Chapel to say, we love you, we're in this together. That's the kind of unity that God wants. David's working with Noe from North Phoenix Baptist and Tim from uh, Phoenix Bible and Brian from New City Church, all together in unity to talk together, to pray together, to bring the congregations together. Why? Because Jesus said the most effective strategy we can possibly have if, if all God's people are recognizing their love for the same Father, following the same Lord, and they're in unity together. That does not mean we have to agree on everything everybody else does. I was the founder of this church, and I didn't even agree with what we were doing here a lot of the times. I didn't always like the music. I didn't always like the way we did services. Trust me. The guys that could, were on staff will tell you I was more frustrated than anybody. But that's family, folks. I have seven younger brothers and sisters. We get extremely frustrated with each other. When my sister-in-law told me one time that we have a dysfunctional family, I wanted to punch her. I really did. But I didn't. And then she divorced my brother. Um, so I don't have to listen to her anymore. But nevertheless, every family has issues, right? Every church has issues. I better move on. Um, so here's a theme verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, when our first son was born, Christina joined the Lalechi League, which is a bunch of nursing mothers, and they all came over to, to our house, and when they arrived, I departed, because it was weird, you know what I mean? Let's all get together and nurse together. I mean, but they were so committed. They loved those kids so much. It was a really beautiful thing, I guess, if you were a mother. Um, this summer, um, I was over in Laguna Beach with Christina, and um, we ran into a young boy named Mark Miller. And I, I saw him. I met his wife. She was about to have a baby. He had just graduated from law school. He's since passed the bar exam in California. And I was just marveling, because I thought back to eight years earlier. Eight years earlier, I got a call from his mother, Andra, and Andra said, we've got to do something about Mark. He is, he's really not doing well. What she really meant to say was, he is completely crazy. He has smoked so much dope that his mind is completely fractured. And she said, I heard that you have a mission trip to Belize, and I think it'd be really good for him to go. Would you tell David to take him? You know, like, I can just tell David what to do. Yeah, good luck with that. But I called up David. I said, David, would you be willing to take Mark Murrow for this week-long trip to Belize? And he said, yeah, I'm not Mark Murrow, Mark Miller. Uh, and he said, yes, and he takes him down there, and he was, this guy, kid was crazy. But eight days with David did something. It snapped something in him. When the apostle says, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel. It wasn't, here's my message, Mark. Come back next week. Here's my sermon. I hope to see you again soon. It was, no, come with me. Uh, we will do life together. If you're willing to do life together with somebody, you can release a grace to them that is like a nursing mother releasing every uh, antibody in her immune system to this little child that makes that child become more productive, more secure, more protected than anything else known to mankind. David's dad did the same kind of thing. We were on a fishing trip, or supposed to be on a fishing trip, many years ago in California. My two boys were very little. His three boys were also pretty little. And they pull up in their van to pick me and my boys up. And Billy Stockton, David's dad, has this kid in the van with his three sons by the name of Joey Lawrence. I knew Joey Lawrence because his mother came to our church. Joey would come on occasion. He was a bona fide juvenile delinquent. I mean, not your typical juvenile delinquent that would just cause trouble and, you know, you know, throw pumpkins on Halloween. This kid literally tried to burn down the junior high school. And he succeeded in burning down one room, which his parents had to pay for to get remodeled and everything. But here we are looking forward to this trip. Get away with our boys. Teach them how to fish in a beautiful hat creek. And now we got a juvenile delinquent. And I said to Billy, I said, Billy, I don't want to bring him on this trip. And Billy said, he needs a dad that shows interest in him. And he doesn't have a dad that's doing that. He's coming on our trip. 
And Billy's bigger than me, so there was nothing I could do about it. So he goes on the trip. We drive up four hours out into the mountains by Mount Lassen, Hat Creek. It's pristine trout waters. And uh, we're setting up the tents. And next thing I know, Joey Lawrence comes up behind me, and he's got a big stick, and he's got a big butcher knife. And I said, give me that butcher knife. What are you doing with that thing? And he goes, no, I want to go fishing. I said, give me. And Billy says to me, let him have it. Just let him have it. I said, he's going to hurt himself. This is ridiculous. We got to basically show him this is not how you behave on a fishing trip. And Billy's like completely different perspective. He's like, no, if he can't come out here and be like a boy here, when is he ever going to do it? Just let him go. So he takes off. He, he took duct tape and and duct tape the butcher knife to this big long stick and he's going fishing in pristine trout waters. The next thing I know, like 45 minutes later, here's Joey Lawrence coming back with two great big trout. And I'm like, wow. So I don't see Joey Lawrence after that fishing trip for 20 years, right? 20 years later, I'm in Novato, California, visiting my brother Robert, and guess who lives next door? Joey Lawrence with his wife and four kids and they're going to church every Sunday, and they love the Lord, and he has a fruitful, productive life. And part of the reason why is because when he was in the depth of his depravity, there was somebody who loved Jesus, who wasn't intimidated by his delinquency, who wasn't completely put off by the fact that the kid was wild and crazy, but believed that his God was powerful enough to bring transformation. So that's the, the, the kind of dad David was raised with. And that's why he's doing the same kind of thing. And that's why he's a great pastor for you. In verse 9, it says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. What does it take to have a successful business? What does it take to have a fruitful ministry? Sometimes you're going to work night and day. That's what the Apostle Paul said. We work night and day. We didn't want to be a burden to you. You're witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He said, on one hand, we're like a nurse, nursing mother loving you and caring for you, and another way, we're like a father who, who urges you, who encourages you, and sometimes will rebuke or discipline you. In other words, we got involved in your life. When my wife Christina was 17 years old, her parents left for Puerto Rico. They were both alcoholic. Her mom had been in and out of mental hospitals, suicide attempts, and so forth, and it was a pretty, pretty rough upbringing for her. They sent her one check for $100, after they moved to Puerto Rico. That was the last check she ever got from them for the rest of their lives. And uh, what, what saved her, really, was moving in with our pastor, who opened his home to three girls simultaneously so that he could help them by giving them a secure place to live. He had his own three kids. He was running a painting crew. He was leading Bible studies. He was doing all kinds of stuff. But he had room in his heart and in his home for some girls that needed help. So Christina grew in the Lord. Uh, she, she put herself through 
uh, college, she was working, we got married when she was 19, and she had a dream, and her dream was to someday be a nurse or even a doctor, because her life had been saved when she was a young girl, um, living literally in a hospital for months on end after she had rheumatic fever that damaged her heart in a major way. So she wanted to give back to the medical community. But after we got married, we ran a discipleship house. We had our own four kids. We started a church in California. Then we came here and started living streams in our living room. And so we didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the bandwidth for her to take the time to go to college, to graduate, to go to nursing school or medical school. So I said, please, can you just give it up? So she gave it up for the Lord. And then one day, we get a call from our associate pastor, Highland Slobotkin. And he says, there's a family from Valley Cathedral, and they need help. They've got six kids, and they just lost their house to some kind of foreclosure. They were forced to move out. And, um, and I'm thinking, so they're from this mega church with 4,000 people. They're calling us. In those days, we had about 50 people because they need help for their people. Okay, what can we do? And we moved this family with six kids into a discipleship house that we had that was right across the street from our home. And the first night that this family was there, um, they came over for dessert so we could get to know them. And we're, they have this, their littlest child is just a few months old. Their oldest of six kids was eight years old, Daniel. And we're asking them all about their life and everything. And, and I heard that they had had financial and legal trouble. So I asked the dad, David, I said, David, is there any chance you could go to jail? And he goes, no, no, no chance. Well, the next day, sheriff's car pulls up in front of the house. They take David away for three and a half years. And so for the next three and a half years, we had our little church, we had our four kids, and we had six children and a single mom to take care of. And when I tell this story and I say we, Christina says, yeah, the royal we, which means she had to take care of these six kids. And, and she's taking care of these kids, getting them to doctor's appointments, making sure that there's somebody to help get them to school when their mom is dealing with a sick kid or something, you know what I mean, for three and a half years. Well, now, and the kids are in and out of our house and in and out of our pool, and we grew to really love them. Their oldest son, Daniel, drowned when he was 16 years old, and, uh, and that was a heartbreak. And the other five kids gathered many years later in North Phoenix, and we were invited over to pray for their mom right before she died. And Linda had had uh, frontal lobe dementia, she was really struggling. We knew this was our last goodbye. And her girls now and her son had gathered from Washington, Oregon, and Arizona to say goodbye to their mom. As we gathered around, um, their mom um, had done a wonderful job with them. But the girls all said to Christina, Christina, if it wasn't for you, we could have been homeless. If it wasn't for you, we could have been on the streets. We could have been drug addicts. But you were there for us, and you helped our mom when we really needed somebody to help our mom. Now, out of those 
four girls that were there that night and their son, all four girls are nurses, were nurses at that time, and the son was a doctor. So Christina gave up her dream, and she was able to hear how God did something in their lives through her that made her more fruitful and productive than if she had given her whole life to becoming a medical missionary. And their son, Daniel, we named our annual medical trip after him, the Daniel Murrow Mission Trip to Rocky Point, Mexico. There was another family who was a doctor in our church, George Stavros. George and Susie lost their oldest daughter to an overdose. Bruce Utterback takes George Stavros down on the Daniel Murrow Mexico trip, and George gets the vision. And the vision is that he wants his life to really count for something beyond his own family. And so they buy a house in Mexico. They start taking teams of doctors down to Mexico. And to this day, 20-some years later, there have been thousands and thousands of people treated medically. And there have been hundreds of doctors and, and medical school students that have gone on these outreaches. And a whole bunch of them have come to know Jesus. The fruitfulness in the medical community through that family, the Murrow family, has been absolutely incredible. So I'm telling you these stories because there's a reason, and I'm going to give you just two more quick scriptures. What's the greatest danger for believers today? Matthew chapter 24. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. We're in the last days. We're in a season of time where there's incredible pressure. But Jesus said, don't worry about the wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Don't worry about the famines and the earthquakes. That's just the beginning, he's saying. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The greatest danger Jesus warns the believers about in the last days is not wars, earthquakes, famines, or any of that kind of stuff. It's that we would allow the love that he has given us to grow cold because the love that he has given us is the greatest power that has been given to people on earth. He says there's apostles and prophets, there's pastors and teachers, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I will show you the most excellent way. What's the most excellent way? That we would love one another. Because love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't take into account wrongs. It never fails. Our dreams, our hopes, our visions, our families sometimes can be fractured and things can fail. But love, it never fails. I went to a, a birthday party for Renee Rooster last night. There was about 100 people there. And these people's lives have been transformed because Renee and Don, they've given themselves to help in marriages, helping marriages get strong so kids can be raised in stable homes, so those kids can believe that the gospel that they heard since they were a child would, will actually work in the real world. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So here's my last scripture, First. 
Peter chapter 2. It says this, How can we confidently preach the gospel and serve the Lord? 1 Peter 2.9 You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That's who you are. And you don't feel like it a lot of times. You, you have been rejected. You have failed because we all fail. We all get rejected. We all have to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to give ourselves and sometimes get nothing back. Uh, you, if you're a parent, you know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and have somebody screaming and crying and, and, and have somebody that you're going to give all your money to for the next 18 years and they're still going to be mad that you didn't buy them a new enough car. You know what I mean? You know what it's like if you're a parent to be giving and giving. And yet if you ask somebody or somebody asks you what's the most important thing you've ever done with your life, you'd say those were those little crazy crying creatures are some of the most significant things you've ever invested in. A couple of years ago, I was playing golf over at the Biltmore Golf Course. And for many years, um, they never let you walk on the course, but I'm walking on this particular day because it's COVID. And once COVID came, they said, you don't have to ride in a cart, you can walk if you want. So I'm walking along to get some exercise. And I'm thankful for the opportunity because Years earlier, one of my friends said, Mark, if you want to play there, just put it on my tab. And I thought, thank you very much. I would love to play there. It's a beautiful course, two courses actually, but it's too much money and I don't want to have you spending your money that way. So I'd play at cheap courses and city courses. But when he became an owner of the course with his partners and he asked me again, I thought, okay, if you're forcing it, I'll do it. So... Now I'm playing there, right? But as my, as my wife will tell you, and my daughters definitely tell me all the time, Dad, you look like a homeless person with your hat and those shorts. Can you, know, can you upgrade, please? So I'm walking along. My daughters are nowhere to be seen. So I'm wearing my big hat and my homeless outfit, pushing my golf cart. And there's a, a security guard who pulls up, and he's watching me. And I'm thinking, he wants to see my swing. All right. I've been working on it. But for some reason, it wasn't the swing that impressed him. And he drove up, and he comes around right beside me, and he says, you need to get off this course right away. I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, it's obvious you don't belong here. And I had to admit, there was nothing in me that really felt like I belonged either. I didn't dress the part. I hadn't paid any money for it. There was just one slight understanding that he didn't have, and that was that the owner chose me to, as his friend to give me that privilege. And so I said, sir, let me just explain that I have privileges here, and you can go to the pro shop, and they'll tell you, and here's my card. And he's like, rah, 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 rah. I'll be back, you know. So I walk along, and when I get to the turn at the ninth hole, by the clubhouse, I see the guy in his car, cart, and he, he drives up beside me again, and he looks really ashen-faced, like, please don't get me fired, please. And I said, listen, I know you're just doing your job, 
But I want to close by saying this. You don't feel like you belong sometimes in God's calling, His purpose, and His plan. But you need to believe that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen person, because there is work to be done. That we have been called, we have been anointed for a purpose, to make the name of Jesus known, to amplify Him. And that happens when we love one another and we come together and we glorify God together. It happens when we go out on the missions that He leads us out to. And you're not done yet. Your mission is not over yet. Let everything who has breath praise the Lord because the best times of harvest are still happening today. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. This is the day you've made, and we sure appreciate this day that we can worship and serve you together. I ask, Lord God, that you would bring anointing on all your people who need it today and release, release the captives from fear and release those that you're calling and choosing to go forth and bear your name. Amen.